Hi there, this is Diego Martinez, and welcome once more to this thing we call Tunes, a podcast about the songs we vibe to. As you know, we dedicate each episode to the history behind underrated music anthems with the help of our tune architects. On this occasion, we're bringing it all the way back to the summer of 1982 with singer Howard Johnson and producers Paul Lawrence and Etzel Middleton, all together to discuss an ultimate boogie classic. So fine. So Fine came out and it changed my life. Here it is almost 40 years later, and it's still standing the test of time musically, lyrically, and vibe-wise. It's still kicking. I mean, I think those background vocals are just infectious when you first hear it. Without that, I think it's still a great song, but that to me is the song. So Fine is one of those tracks that you might call like 80s funk 101. Like if it was a college class, this is like first day of class. This is being assigned to you to listen to, you know, because it's so essential. Where does disco end and boogie begin? Place that question out there and you'll hear different answers from people. But it's safe to say that after its implosion in mid-1979, disco never died. It just changed its form. As it was crawling back into the underground, multiple producers started experimenting with the sound, drawing influences from soul and both European and Japanese techno-pop. That approach of marrying acoustic and electronic instrumentation led to new beginnings and an unabashed urge to funk, felt by audiences from either side of the Atlantic. And who was at the helm of all of this? It was a guy from Harlem, actually, whose adopted name means what he truly was in his lifetime and beyond, a pioneer. The late Kashif helped define the sound of early 80s boogie with revolutionary studio techniques, multi-layered vocal arrangements, and bass for days. One of his first productions happened to be So Fine, a number one dance hit that took its vocalist, Miami-born Howard Johnson, through the stratosphere. He had been preparing for his time in the spotlight as a singer and percussionist for different bands, including funk outfit Night Flight. But his talents went beyond just funk or boogie. In fact, his exposure to different artists and styles while growing up in South Florida is reflected heavily in his versatility and creativity as a performer. Both my parents sang, not professionally, uh, they sang in church. So I listened to my parents a lot. Sam Cooke, Al Green, Donald Fagan. The list goes on and on and on. Obviously, you know, the Jackson 5, Earth, Wind & Fire. The first major concert that I performed at 1975, I opened up for Earth, Wind & Fire with a group called Love, Unity & Virtue. So, I mean, like a lot of people will ask me, where do I get my improvisational skills from to be able to do ad libs on songs? I used to listen to David Sanborn, Grover Washington. I would listen to things that were not obvious for a singer. Andy Williams, Frank Sinatra, 
I remember doing a show, I was in the eighth grade and I had a group that we called ourselves the Jackson Three because it was only three of us, it wasn't five of us. And we went on stage and the guy that was supposed to sing the lead froze. I ended up doing the song and I felt that we didn't really get a good, you know, reception from the audience. And I re-entered myself in the show as Howard Johnson. And I sang Moon River and ended up winning first place. After building his reputation in the local Miami music scene, Howard found himself filling in for a bandmate one night when he was discovered by musician Sandy Turano in 1978. Turano invited Howard to join him in his band Tornado, later renamed Night Flight. One year later, in 1979, Night Flight's debut album reached number 53 in Billboard's Soul Albums chart, and the song If You Want It broke through the U.S. Top 40. Night Flight really emerged in a different direction than disco, because that was the end of the disco era. What I took away from that was to not be afraid to be whatever you want to be, to be different if you want to be different, if you want to be funky, if you want to be melodic. But we just didn't want to be. I mean, and the other thing that I took from that was in meeting Sandy and the person that I replaced in Night Flight, which was called Tornado at the time, I replaced a guy named Larry Alexander. And Larry Alexander was Phyllis Hyman's husband. So I got a chance to meet Phyllis. There's a spark of magic in your eyes. Candyland appears each time you smile. Oh man, I followed Phyllis around like a puppy after its mom. And it wasn't aggravating to her. And I was asking her questions and you know, what do I do and how do I sing this? And it was just such a great learning experience just being in, in night flight. And, you know, in a nutshell, it just taught me to not be afraid to to venture into, you know, where it is that you think you are, where it is you think you want to be. Don't be afraid to reach. And I did just that. The ride with night flight was short lived after a serious car accident that left him with hearing loss in his left ear and a sophomore album that didn't perform at all in the charts. He left the band and went back to square one. Things were rough when he received an unexpected call from record executive Howard Smiley, who proposed a production deal with a major label, A&M Records. It was the call that changed everything for him. Howard Smiley saw me one day in uh, South Miami and says, I've got this great deal with AM Records with this new producer named uh, Kashif. Do you want to? And I was like, does a bear poop in the woods? Of course I want the deal. And I took the deal in, uh, what, six months, seven months later in June 1982. So Fine came out and it changed my life. I mean, if you want it, would Night Flight change my life? But 
so fine really changed my life. I moved to uh, New York and just everything was whirlwind. The record company was kind of caught off guard because, you know, they had never heard of me. No one had paid any attention outside of Miami about night flight and if you wanted. So, yeah, um, 1982, after two records with night flight, I signed a production situation with Howard Smiley to A&M Records and the rest was history. Production credits for So Fine not only feature Kashif, there's also the name of a fellow songwriter raised in Harlem's White Rock Baptist Church, mentored by its musical director, Andrew Cooper, and choir members Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson. They encouraged him to always strive for excellence in his music. Like Howard Johnson, Paul Lawrence did the band circuit and even formed one with his former schoolmate, R&B singer Freddie Jackson. The man sent out demos to different producers in the hopes of signing a record deal. That demo caught the attention of Maury Brown, who expressed interest in getting Lawrence together with Kashif, the former BT Express keyboard player. He said, I got this guy, I want to put you together. I think you guys have come up with something great. And it just happened to be Kashif. So he put us together and we, you know, kind of formed a little camaraderie talking and we were hanging out a little bit. So over a period of maybe two months, it took us to finally kind of like, oh, we got something. Once that happened, that was the Evelyn King stuff. From there, when it, I think it read and went into Howard Johnson and then from there, another Evelyn record. And then we were done as a unit. So people tend to think that the chief and I, you know, had this long history together. No, it was really just... Three projects, maybe four projects tops, and that was it. He went his way, I went my way. Kashif, Paul Lawrence, and Maury Brown's first production came in 1981 with I'm In Love, a record that helped revitalize the career of the great Evelyn Champagne King after the massive success of the song, which hit number one on the soul and dance charts. The trio's work and Kashif's bass-heavy sound were in high demand. I guess one of his strongest points was he was a really good musician. But, you know, piano, really very nice style piano. But his real measure of like Kashif was that bass coming up with those bass lines. That's it in a nutshell in terms of, I mean, everything, not to say that's all he could do, but that's to me the signature of Kashif. You hit a funky bass line. I mean, I learned how to be funky like that watching him play bass lines. So I, I learned that from him. I mean, the songwriting thing, it was interchangeable. Um, I mean, he styled his chords. His chordal structure came from me because that's how I styled my chords. So it was like a give and take kind of thing because when we met, he was, you know, his hands are, were big, so he was playing large, you know, his hands stretched across the, his chordal structure was like big chords stretched. Mine's is more compact. And if you listen to those songs that he did, a lot of the songs, he did a lot of songs that I do, the chordal structures, like those chords are close together, smaller chords play with the whole chord is played within one octave kind of thing, as opposed to like stretching it out. So that's what he, I believe he got from me because that's, that was what I brought to the table in terms of the songwriting. But baseline, bar none. <laughs> There's something in those like 80s synth baseline. This is LA-based modern funk artist and producer at L. Middleton whose work was influenced by Kashif and other boogie legends. No matter how sophisticated the song is, when you hear, it kind of makes you go, mm, 
yeah. So there's like that underlying nastiness, that gangster boogie to it. But yet on top, you know, you hear the top line. He's just, he's talking to a lady. He's talking, he's talking that, that smoothness. And I think that's just like such an amazing, like uh, juxtaposition, I guess, if you will. I think it was more what he was doing musically and the instrumentation that we had access to many moves, Juno 106s, uh, Matrix, uh, OBXs. Uh, there's nothing like those analog sounds in those synths to this day that all of the new guys are trying to get those pieces of equipment now, which are astronomical as far as how much they cost now. I mean, the Mini Moog, I, I owned the Mini Moog that Kashif used in So Fine, and I loaned it to a friend of mine, and I went out of the country, and unfortunately, he sold it, and I could never get it back, and, you know, I was devastated for that, but that particular sound, yeah, you know, they're able to duplicate certain digital sounds or whatever, but it's nothing like that analog sound from that period. For all of Kashif's achievements and pioneering work, Howard Johnson remembers a contentious relationship with the music industry legend in the recording studio. I was a live singer. You know, I was singing in church. I was in these two bands doing my thing. So it was never a second chance. It's like when you step on stage, it's like, bam, there it is. It's not like, hold up, let me start over. So as I worked with them and Kashif being a perfectionist and going, well, okay, well, let's sing it again. Let's do it again. And let's just do this part. And let's do this part. That drove me crazy because being around Luther, I would see Luther in the studio. I'd be in the studio with him and he would sing a song maybe three times from beginning to end. And then he would listen to the whole each one. Then he goes, that's it. Or he would say, today's not today to do it because he wasn't going to sing one part over and over and over and over again. And he was a perfectionist in a complete manner, opposed to when people look behind the curtains or somebody takes them behind the curtain to show how it really happens, what really happens in the studio. And then if they can watch that some producers make an artist sing this one part or these three words and stop it and then do the next three words or whatever. And it's like that drove me kind of crazy and I was like you know I want to sing a song from beginning to ending because if you got a vibe and, and I have a thing about when I sing normally if I do an ad lib at the beginning of the song if that ad lib is not perfect I'll normally stop it and start over because to me it's like you can have a great finish and, and that's wonderful but to me if I don't have a great start then the middle and the end doesn't matter because I'm always He's going to be bothered by that. So it was difficult working with him because he was a perfectionist. I, I don't take anything away from that style of producing or whatever, but I like, you know, singing a song from beginning to ending because when you go in to do that song live in front of 10,000 people, you can't go, hold on, guys, I'm going to start over. I didn't get that right. So I'm a perfectionist in a sense, as in being a live singer, I'm going to give my best and make sure that that first thing that I hit is going to be right on point so I can just carry that straight through. While working on Howard's AM debut LP, Keeping Love New, Kashif brought a song to the studio that, in its original form, was a jingle for a baked goods company called Drake's Cakes. That did not impress the confident Howard. And the song went, Drake Cakes, Drake Cakes, 
taste great and there was no harmonies. There wasn't all of the beautiful stuff there. And I was going, dude, I am not singing that. That's stupid. First of all, it's a commercial and I hated and whatever. And he got pissed at me and kicked me out of the studio. And I actually told him to give the song to Evelyn. So when I showed up the next day or whatever, you know, he was in a testy mood. He's doing some stuff there with the engineer or whatever. He goes, sit down. He presses play and it's the song starts off and he goes, ooh, so fine, so fine, blow my mind, ooh, no music, so fine, so fine. Blow and I went, oh my God, oh my God, this, he's going quiet, quiet, quiet. And it goes on and, you know, he was singing the demo, you know, when I saw you coming, Simon, I was like, oh man, oh man, because I never heard the actual verse. And I was like, oh God, this is so cool. And then all of a sudden the B section, what we call a sub chorus comes in. The way you strut yours up across the floor, maybe I, and I was like, oh my, and it was a part in there that I didn't like, and I was like, couldn't you, and he's like, just be quiet, be quiet, and then the rest of the song, baby, 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 and I could tell that it was Freddie Jackson's voice. And I went, oh my God, Freddie's singing on this? And he's like, yeah, shut up and listen to the rest of the song. And the rest of the song played, and I was like, I hope you didn't give this to Evelyn. And he goes, no, and excuse my language, he goes, yeah, I saved it for your arrogant ass. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Again, producer Paul Lawrence. I mean, I think those those background vocals are just infectious when you first hear it. Ooh, so fun. I mean, it's just infectious. Uh, that right there sets them, you know, people don't even... I mean, of course, they would love the rest of the record, but when they hear that, that's just like, oh. without that, I think it's still a great song, but that, to me, is the song part. When you know, so fine, so fine. I mean, that's just so cool. That's like, that takes care of the guys on the corner that be trying to sing harmony. That takes care of the woman who thinks she's so fine, and the way that it's sung, ooh, so fine. I mean, it just, it runs the gamut. Um, so I think it's, the song is great as a totality, but I think the magic of that song is that ooh, so fine. It just takes you there when you hear it. You automatically know you want you want to know before the beat even starts that you want to dance. We didn't think about when we came up with the ideas, we didn't think about doing a demo. We think about when we record this, it's gonna be the record. So it was it became it started with demos, then it started going from the ideas, first from the ideas to demos. Then after we realized what what it was, it went from ideas to record. By the time we did so fine. We didn't know what it was really going to be until we started laying. You know, we put the track together. The track was, you know, banging, but, you know, wow. It's, and he had a little, you know, run a little vocal running on the side of it. But when he put down those harmonies, it's like, oh, <laughs> there it is. You know, <laughs> and, you know, of course, the rest is uh, history. So I start singing it and doing it. And he went home early that day. Then I told the engineer, says, give me another track. I want to change what happened in the B section because what's on the record was different than what was there. And I sang it my way. The waves drive yours across the floor. Maybe I, I can't have you do my 
Oh my God. And it was like, so when he came in the next day and we were working on another song and I says, uh, can we play so fine right quick? He says, well, yeah, well, we're going to work on it. Later. Says, no, I want you to hear it now. But I invited Paul Lawrence in the studio and I invited Maury press play and that B section came and I was singing something different. So well, that's not what I wrote. That's not what I wrote. And I go, yeah, so, so I, don't, I don't want it there because it's not what I wrote. And then everybody, Paul and Morris says, but Kashif, what Howard sang was a lot better than what you had there. And he finally acquiesced and, and, and let it stay in the song. I didn't get any credit for it. It didn't matter. I mean, I got to use a hit for the rest of my life. So it wasn't important. Sometimes you, you know, you got to win the war instead of fighting the battle. And I won the war because here it is, you know, God, almost 40 years later. And it's still standing the test of time musically, lyrically, and vibe-wise. It's still kicking. Again, it's L. Middleton. So Fine is one of those tracks that you might call like 80s funk 101. Like if it was a college class, this is like first day of class. This is being assigned to you to listen to, you know, because it's so essential. Definitely everything just from studying their chord progressions, the way that they played those bass lines and the way that the bass lines are so rhythmic in themselves, you know, in a way like separate from the drum, the bass is, is rhythmic too. You know, all of that stuff. And, and again, just that element of sophistication with that nastiness together. I just, I love the combination. It's, it's, it's irresistible to me. It's one of those songs that's sort of like ever present because that music in LA and throughout California has just persevered, whether it's like poppers getting down to it at Venice or just low riding culture, all that stuff that is really native to California. So those songs are kind of like a soundtrack. Anything from that to Zap stuff or early LA Electro, Egyptian Lover, all that stuff. And all those things are like tied together, you know, it was all like classic soundtrack of the streets like before hip pop was huge, you know? That component of sophistication is all over the track through Howard's vocal delivery, in which he literally channeled his inner 007. I want it to be cool because here I am, I'm Sean Connery, and I'm singing about a woman being so fine. I can't be forceful. I can't be overconfident. So let me be a little suave. When I saw you come inside i couldn't help but notice you were it's it's a conversation and as much as the groove is going that's that's popping that's that's already high profile so why should i take the same level as that so i looked at the song is the same way i look at a painting I can guarantee you probably eight out of 10 people couldn't tell you what the background is in the Mona Lisa. I can because I pay attention to the full palette to be able to see where that I can complement, not fit. I want to be able to complement it. And there's a big difference between fitting in and complementing. So that's why I looked at So Fine as a piece of art to say, well, I mean, the way that Kashif made So Fine and look at the puzzle pieces and how they perfectly all fit, how they perfectly complemented one another. I really, after hearing what he had created, and I just had to say to myself, 
how am I going to compliment this song? And like I said, I didn't want to fit in. I wanted to be able to compliment and add something to it. Because to this day, what I hear from people when I always ask them says, you know what, what is your favorite part of So Fine? And everybody says, the way you struck your stuff across the floor. Maybe I can't. I mean, it's it's perfect. I don't think anything else could have been done contrary to what was there. No disrespect to my beloved friend that's not with us anymore. It was just, it was perfect. What he had cornered very well is like what you might call like the sophisticated funk sound where it's not so much like you have like your your street slaps, you know, that are just like bow, 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 you know, your zap and stuff like that. But his stuff was much more like smooth, you know, the kind of thing that you might, you know, you're at the club, you you step to a step to a lady with your drinking hand kind of thing. And can I dance with you kind of kind of feel, you know? And I think he just he he did that so well because his voice is just so amazing. And then then you get into the, you know, talking about like the Kashif production and all that. It just melted together so well on, on every song they did. The sophisticated player character also came alive in the music video for So Fine, which Johnson financed himself in late 1982. The clip is notable for the appearance of several preeminent dancers on TV's Soul Train. What's actually seen in that video was the opposite of what the director was asking for. And that was give Howard space so he can dance because I love dancing. Because if you look at the Soul Train video, you see me dancing. And every dancer that was in that video was dancers from Soul Train. I'm surrounded. There's no room for me to dance at all. So that that video was still a lot of fun to uh, to to shoot and to do. And it was just one take. And it was just like, hey, so fine, so fine. And 80% of the people in the video were girls, you know, from Soul Train. So it's like, I'm sure the guys would be watching the girls instead of watching me, you know. So yeah, it was like it was yesterday. Howard Johnson's vocal delivery and the song's fun video were just a couple of several ingredients that made so fine what it was then and what it is now. Paul Lawrence points out studio techniques Kashif implemented for the track, and that represented the core of his sound. One of the techniques you would do, like back then, before, you know, all this technology where you can, you know, press MIDI and all that, you would have to sing, like if you wanted to sing the backgrounds, you would have to sing each time it came up. So one of the techniques we started using was, okay, we know that, you know, you got to sing the chorus here and then you got to sing the chorus part here and you got to sing it, whatever, then you got to vamp it out. So we would just, instead of like living with that, because some singers might've sang the first one better than the third, second one. So we go, well, we like this one the best. So we started taking what we like best and we would cut up tape on the uh, two track and then we would splice it together so we know that every time the chorus comes up, we would figure out how to one, two, three, and press the machine, the two track machine and record it onto the multi-track each time that that chorus came up. So it sometimes would be off, but then after you, you do it a few times, you get the feel of it. It's like you might... It might have been for this chorus, you might have need to hit the tape because we got it lined up on this spot. So instead of hitting it on the one, because the drummer might have fluctuated a little bit in this chorus. So, OK, well, it's coming in late. So we know maybe we need to hit it on the upbeat. <laughs> so we just kind of figured it out from each chorus and it, it would work. So those kind of techniques where it would be all kinds of tape 
laying around, planted on the walls of the studio. Like, well, that's the chorus part, backgrounds, or, or this is the chorus part, synth that you played that we like to feel of that. So let's drop we'll put that over here. Now you just copy, cut, and paste. I mean, it's no big deal. But back then, it was it was work. With all of this into account, it's no wonder So Fine often makes the top 10 list of the best boogie tracks of all time. The song is also one of the biggest selling 12-inch singles in the history of A&M Records. Although, as he told the site 50bold.com, he hasn't seen a royalty check. What is it called? It's called funny accounting. <laughs> it's called money shenanigans. And, and, you know, things happen for a reason. Maybe I wouldn't have been able to handle the financial reward that came along with it. Maybe it gave me enough fire to do as I do now. Maybe, you know, because I, I hear people talk about and no disrespect to other people when I hear people talk about bucket lists. I don't have a bucket list because what happens when you've done everything in a bucket? So I look at my life as a journey along my journey within my journey without my journey. I just continue. After the release of So Fine in June of 1982, Howard Johnson and Paul Lawrence have all continued on their journey. Paul maintained his place in the industry, performing on two solo albums and writing lyrics for R&B number ones performed by Freddie Jackson and Stephanie Mills. He is also the head of a production company called Poplar Music that aims to develop up-and-coming and exciting talents. Howard is also active today. He is preparing the release of a new visual album entitled Compelled under his own record label. This is an album that's been in the works for the past five years. It's inspired by his personal losses and reflective of the times we live in. He says that his fans from his boogie days will be in for a surprise. You won't see Keeping Love New. You won't see a song like So Fine. You won't see a song like Take Me Through the Night. It'll be more about social issues and the introspect of who I am. I am so fine. I am keeping love new. I am all of those those things, but I'm speaking out a little more about how those things are affecting me, whether it's love, whether it's social issues, marriage, relationships, and those things. And I'm trying to include those things in my music because I'm really a reflection of my music. I'm a reflection of the times and the things that are surrounding me. But of course, he hasn't forgotten about his past, which, as we mentioned earlier, has influenced the work of young producers and DJs like Edsel Middleton, who collaborated with Howard this year for a new song called Can't Get Away From Your Love. It really started off with me. I created the track for the song. And I, I wrote the song too, and I envisioned it as something for him. But I had recorded like a demo vocal version of it, just with me singing it, just to like you know show him like this is this is how I want to do it. So then we would just kind of like you know he kind of recorded his initial pass of the song, and then uh, we kind of went over it like oh maybe this part we could do this. He might have had a few uh, ideas for like you know like okay on your demo vocal you sang it like this, but what if I sang it like this? 
So just, you know, just those little ideas, you know, it's, it's just interesting with like, you know, somebody that's, that's just as, as great and talented and legendary as him that we, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you still kind of have to like go through and fine tune the ideas. Like, you know, this line right here, it sounds like maybe the notes just very slightly flat. Maybe you could redo this part. And I, I just, from what I gathered from that is that every singer has to go through that, that process, you know, no matter how incredible they are. It's humbling uh, to, to be able to work with those guys and to see their love and passion for not just my music, but for me. Because sometimes our persona is so different than what our music is. That's why sometimes you have fans fall in love with actors, you know, and actresses because of the characters that they play. And it's the same thing with the music to be able to break bread with these guys, to talk with these guys, to go to uh, record functions and to dig through crates with them and for them to see who I am and for me to see who who they are, and then that persona comes out in the, in the music and they understand that it's a humbling experience. Next year, 2022, will mark the 40th anniversary of the release of So Fine, and Howard Johnson is planning something special to celebrate. He will be remastering and reissuing his A&M album, Keeping Love New, which includes So Fine, as a vinyl collector's item featuring new recordings, two songs that were originally set for him to lay down in the studio, but eventually ended up on Kashif's first solo LP for Arista Records. You might also want to catch The Prophet of Soul on stage, where he shines and gives so much of himself through every single performance, an experience his public would never forget. Every opportunity that I get to sing, I'm singing. And I'm going to give you the best that I can possibly give and a little more because I never met Jimi Hendrix. I never met Stevie Ray Vaughan. I never met Otis Redding, but I met people that saw them perform. And every one of those people said that they performed like it was their last time. And guess what? One of those times was their last time. So I want to be remembered that anytime that you come and see me, you can bet your bottom dollar, you're going to get 100% Ojo, 100%. Thanks so much to Howard Johnson, Paul Lawrence, and Edsel Middleton for their contributions. And thanks to you for listening. Tunes is a series of music memoirs produced and hosted by Diego Martinez. My executive producer is Nicolas Nick Fresh Puzo, and my audio engineer is Adam Fogel. If you want to see content related to this episode and much more, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at ChunesPod. That is C-H-O-O-N-S-P-O-D. Rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next time as we dive deep into an underrated classic on the next episode of Tunes. Tunes.